world. This is Nick Sararis, and yes, this is the Upper Bowl GM podcast. I'm not going to meander on. Pretty rough day out there for people who spent the entire their entire Wednesday doom-scrolling social media. Going to have a bit of a reprieve here. Just talking a little baseball with my friend Chris Schweitzer. Hopefully this can help make your Thursday a little bit better. Have an episode tomorrow. Gonna record that later on today by the time you're hearing this. Should be fun. Football, playoffs. Try and win you some hard earned American dollars. This is a little bit of a appetizer for baseball season. There's still a lot of moves to be made. It's still the heart of the offseason. A lot of free agents are still out there. A lot of guys who might get traded still available. This is kind of a wet the beak for baseball season. Did a Mets episode a couple of weeks ago when Cohen was officially confirmed as owner of the Mets. This is more of a big picture look at baseball as a whole all around. Chris is an encyclopedia with this thing. Plays a lot of DFS. He watches a lot of baseball. He's up on every team. He knows the guys you need to know about. So stick around till the end. The last part of this episode is guys to watch going into the season to see if they make the jump or if they can bounce back from really bad seasons. I learned a lot from this conversation. I watch a lot of baseball myself. I love MLB TV. I do usually try to watch two or three games a night during baseball season if I can. The multicast feature is very useful where you can stream multiple games at once if you have MLB TV. Very helpful for baseball season. I will see you guys on the other side of the drop with Chris. Ah, let's go Mets. So Smith is the free runner at second. Alonzo the batter. 7-7 bottom of the 10th. That's driven deep down the left field line. Torres And with that, I welcome on one of my very good friends, the host of The Sports Report with Christopher Schweitzer. How are we doing, Chris? I'm doing pretty good today, Nick. How are you doing? I'm good. I I know everybody's kind of all, we're looking at football, hockey's coming back, basketball's starting to get its groove going, national championship game next weekend. But today, I wanted to talk a little bit different because it, it reminds me of your role in the group chat we have with all our friends from high school where you you try and you don't really jump in all the time you're basically staying on an episode of nitro up in the rafters with the baseball bat and you're waiting for baseball to come up to jump in and just like hey i i, I don't know about that one you might want to rethink that take and workshop that a little more i wanted to talk a little bit of baseball with you because you and i are baseball guys first and foremost and yes yeah. we're in a weird pocket that's happened a few times in the last couple of years with baseball where the offseason is extremely slow to develop and this year because no team really has money aside from like the Mets and the Blue Jays it's even slower than usual so I thought it would lend itself to a good midweek episode to talk a little bit about the state of baseball as a whole that sounds like a great idea I'm, I'm very excited you, you know like like you said before in the group chat I I jump at the opportunity to talk about baseball so I'm, I'm ready. I'm excited. All right. So let's start here. The first thing I want to talk about is how the perception of baseball has drastically changed in our lifetime, because one of the main things that happened was baseball just isn't like popular anymore. And because I remember growing up, like watching baseball tonight on a Sunday at six o'clock before Sunday night baseball with John Miller and Joe Morgan calling the game. Felt like a big deal when your team was playing on Sunday night baseball. Like it really did feel like the entire country was watching Sunday night baseball at the time. And it the players were bigger and more important. That was when Pools was insane on the Cardinals, when A-Rod was still A-Rod, when Manny was Manny, when the Yankee Red Sox rivalry really felt like a blood feud, like someone could die at any given point in the stands or on the field. Baseball just doesn't have the same juice anymore. And it, it sucks. It, it does. It's, and I think it's really just a big problem with how they, they market the game, but yeah, it doesn't, the game of baseball is definitely losing. It's the younger audience. I think the other sports, mainly, mainly basketball. I think basketball is kind of sweeping up the younger audience more so than baseball is now. I mean, everybody loves football. Everybody watches football. It's always going to be King football, but you know, baseball had a nice little 
had a nice little niche there where it was like the second sport. I mean, it, it's, it's America's pastime and it had that role as being like the second favorite sport in America. But now I think with just a younger generation coming through, it's more so I think basketball is taking away that younger audience more taking away from baseball. What's special about baseball to you? Like you said, you really try not to get involved in the basketball and football discussions because it is just kind of petty nonsense sniping back and forth. What's yeah, especially with baseball? football. <laughs> yeah, especially with football. What's uh, different for, about baseball? I don't know. I just I just love the game of baseball. I've 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 you know, for as long as I can remember, baseball has been a part of my life. I played it for for a number of years for like I said for as young as I can remember. I was playing T-ball, little league, travel, you know, whatever. I was playing baseball. I, my dad was always bringing me to games, bringing me to Shea Stadium, uh, City Field. Like, I don't know. I just, I love, love the game of baseball, love the sounds of the game. And it's just, I don't know. It's something I can watch. Like when, when baseball, when baseball season's in, I watch, you know, games, pretty much any game that's on, I'll watch it. I don't really care. Obviously, I, I'll Mets take precedent. But other than that, like I can watch a baseball game for, for whoever's playing. Yeah, that was one of the good advantages of the 60 game season was that, the MLB MLB TV package was only like $50 for the entire year. So I was watching like four or five baseball games every single day, the entirety of the summer last year. And it let me get in touch with a lot of teams I didn't regularly watch. The amount of times I watched the Reds last year, just on a random day, like a Tuesday, <laughs> one o'clock start. It's like, I don't really care about the Reds, but I want to see Trevor Bauer pitch. I want to see Sonny Gray pitch. I want to see Joey Votto play baseball. You know, the guy who hits, five balls in the air the entire season i want to watch guys like this because baseball is it's kind of become regional where like people only care about their team and if their team sucks they have no vested interest like you would have thought the red Sox were the greatest abomination to ever happen last year because they had one bad season you know a year and a half after winning a world (laughs) series granted trading mookie bets not great we're going to talk about mookie bets in a little bit but it's baseball has become pretty regional it it's weird for us because in new york baseball is always going to have precedence because of the role of the tabloids here the post and the daily news are always going to care about baseball because the boomers still go to the deli in the morning and get the daily news or the post they want to see what's on the back cover and baseball still can steal the back cover even when the mets are a joke they're still going to have the photoshop of mr Mets standing in front of a dumpster fire talking about them losing four out of six or the Yankees having nobody healthy to play and having Mike Talkman lead the team in batting average for a week and a half out of nowhere. It's weird for us in New York because baseball is New York is still a baseball city. Like the Giants and Jets are oh, for sure precedent have like a presence, but this is still a baseball city. Uh, certainly, yeah. New, New York is one of the last few, I think baseball cities i mean of course there's there's cities around the country where baseball is the only sport they don't have a football team or a basketball team or a hockey team even but new york especially i mean like even just listening to wfan or espn radio like like baseball season baseball more so wfan than espn but definitely like when baseball season's in that what that's what gets people talking on fan a lot more even even more so than football and i think mostly just because you know football is only once a week so it's tough to stretch out one football game over the course of an entire week where baseball, you play, you know, five, six times a week. So there's always, there's always something new to talk about. And like I said, people in New York love, you know, they love baseball. They love their, whether Mets or Yankees or whatever, they love their baseball. So definitely a baseball city. It's it. I, I'm going to miss the, the Mets just played the worst three game series in my entire life. It's a Monday. I want to hear what Francesa has to say. I want to hear him. <laughs> erupt on Terry Collins about Ronnie Cedeno getting a pinch hit opportunity in the ninth inning. It's just those kind of things are going to get lost. And sports talk radio is kind of like on its way out. Like it's basically just a vestige for uh, gambling ads. Basically that's all FAN is, is now. And that goes to what you were saying before about young people not caring about baseball. And we're going to talk, do you think that's because of how baseball is just played now? Because I have that a little further down in the rundown, but I think it's worth mentioning in this part of the conversation as well, that because it's, there's so little action that it's just walks, home runs or flyouts or strikeouts rather, that's it. Do you think that's a part of it, that it's not really as engaging? 
I do think it's part of the problem a little bit, not to say it's a bad thing for baseball because everybody loves home runs. Um, But also baseball is weird because it's the only game without like a clock. There's no timer on baseball. Like I remember my literally coaches, one of my literally coaches tell me this all the time. Like he was like, there's no, there's no timer on baseball. You could take as long as you want to do whatever you want. You know, there are pace of play rules set in place now, but still, you know, every, every other sport, major sport has a specific countdown timer to mark when a game starts and when a game ends. Baseball doesn't have that. It's pretty arbitrary. Generally, they're about three hours long, but you know, that, that just the fact that there's no, there's no set timer. And then also baseball is a weird sport because there could be long stretches of time where there's nothing significant that happens, especially when you get to a point when you're, you have good pitchers on it, like a Jacob deGrom start, you know, it might be, you know, an hour and a half until you see anybody score a run you know, in that game. And then, you know, you're sitting there for five, five innings, five and a half innings, and it's still zero, zero. And you're like, well, this is pretty boring, but you know, for the casual fan, you would, you would think that is, that's boring, but for a baseball fan, you'd be like, Oh, Jacob DeGrom pitching the gem and the Mets can't hit, you know, whoever, whoever's on the, the mount opposite of switching the gem too. So, I mean, the, the way, and that's also, like you said before, partly due to the fact that, uh, that most of the game now is just walks and home runs but you know, it, it's it's gonna be tougher to to get a younger audience when there's like I said, there's long stretches of, of time where nothing is going on. Because you know, football, there's I mean, you know, football, even though there's plays stop and start all the time, there's nothing going on. When a play starts, something big is gonna happen to finish the play. Even if it's just a tackle for loss, it's still a fun play to watch a defender make, you know, make a tackle in the backfield or basketball, you know, even if the guy misses a shot every once in a while, you know, for for three minutes there's, there's no scoring, it's still there's still actions up and down the court, constant movement. So baseball doesn't have that. And I think that's probably why it loses the younger audience. But, you know, I, I don't think this is something that they can't, they, they could do things to recapture that younger audience, I think for sure, you know, with, with better marketing. Yeah. We're, we're going to have the brainstorming session later on to talk a little bit about that. There was that one tweet I saw the other day about what's his face on the Pirates dating Vanessa Hudgens doing more for the markability of baseball. <laughs> than anything baseball's done in the last 10 years. And it's true. I mean, there was an account that kept track of the number of times the M- official MLB account tweeted about Tim Tebow and about Mike Trout, the first year Tebow was in the Mets organization. And the MLB account tweeted more about Tim Tebow than the guy who won the MVP. And that was two <laughs> years ago. I, I, I get what we're going for here, that more people know who Tim Tebow is than Mike Trout is. But if you might highlight, like, you know, modern day Mickey Mantle, maybe he might get recognized at places that aren't just Eagles games. It might might help just a little bit. All right. The Hall of Fame is doing that thing where, you know, the baseball writers post their ballot to get either engagement where they do something like performance art where they vote for nobody because nobody was a Hall of Famer this year, or they take a stand where they're only voting for X certain type of guys or there's just the shithead who votes for like the worst player who's eligible that year because they think it's funny, that kind of thing. Do you think that is just a vestige of what baseball used to be where the baseball writers kind of take themselves a little too seriously, where it's kind of like, this is a hall of fame. This isn't like, you know, the hall of purity. There there are bad people in the baseball hall of fame already. Of course. So let's start with, what you think about how the hall of fame is voted for. And then we'll talk about people who are on the ballot this year. Uh, I, I think it is, it is kind of a joke, just like all the rules and ethics that go into, into hall of fame voting. Um, because it, it definitely seems like certain guys have, they have like rules and standards for some players that they don't have for other players. And then there's players that are just playing good and there's nothing wrong with them and they don't get votes either. And it's like, it's, it's, I don't know the, the, the whole, like you said, the, the baseball writers, I think it certainly is something like they feel like they're not appreciated enough. Cause I'm sure, you know, 20, 30 years ago, baseball writers were like, that was like cream of the crop. Like that was the top, that was a top gig around the country being a baseball writer, getting good, being able to cover baseball teams, travel with the team, you know, write, write for a newspaper now. And it's, it's, you know, especially like physical print is slowly going away. And so these baseball writers, they're, they're, I don't say their power is going because they never really had power. They're just, you know, they're just beat reporters. They cover teams, but you know, it, it's, I think it's certainly something where they, they feel like they have some sort of control over this and they want to be the ethics police. And it's, 
it's very it's i don't know it, it just i'm not a big fan of it i know i don't I haven't done anything to get a hall of fame vote but if i had a hall of fame vote i would do it'd be very very different to the what the majority of these these old boomer baseball writers do right now and how they vote for the hall of fame because it's it definitely needs fixing whatever it is you can't have years where like 2012 where nobody or 2013 where nobody gets on the ballot like nobody's elected to the hall of fame like, that's ridiculous i'm not how, voting how are you gonna elect nobody I'm like, not it's, I don't know. That's, it's their first year of eligibility and no one should be in the hall of fame They're, what are you talking about no one should be right. a unanimous hall like of ken griffey jr yeah and what yeah. are you talking there was about? like four people who didn't vote for griffey yeah i know there's like four people who didn't vote for griffey and it's like oh well because you don't think he's supposed to be a first ballot so you would have voted for him next year he didn't do anything in between the first year on his ballot and the second year in the ballot it's not like he played another season and hit 30 home runs he's the same player he has the same resume he's a, either he's a hall of famer or he's not a hall of famer and like I, I don't know i mean mariano finally broke that he was the first he d- definitely deserved it but griffey probably deserved it too being unanimous so i don't know it, it, this is the semantics and all the, the whatever whatever baseball writers you know get in their head to justify voting or not voting for somebody is just it's very pointless and it's very stupid and hopefully eventually like major changes come to that because it, it needs to get better you jogged my memory about something that i forgot about but I remember the year Biggio finally got into the Hall of Fame, just all of the people from New Jersey calling into FAN, just being like, it was about time. And Francesa was like, do you know this guy? Like, why do you care so much? He was just in the league a long time. He was never one of like the five best players at his position. He's a compiler. He had a lot of hits. He never hit a lot of home runs, never drove in a lot of runs, never was the best player on a World Series team. It's people... It's one of the things that's unique about baseball is that people know the numbers off the top of their head, the record for home runs, the hits in a season, RBIs in a season, the all-time records. Baseball is a numbers game, and we have more numbers than ever that allow us to understand baseball better. It's not complicated. Barry Bonds is a Hall of Famer. Roger Clemens is a Hall of Famer. Manny Ramirez is a Hall of Famer. If you want to argue about Kurt Schilling being more of a postseason player and being like, you know, Julian Edelman, where like he was good in the regular season, but he was really good in the playoffs. I'd listen to that argument. Yeah. Schilling is a Hall of Famer, even if he is like, you know, a dirtbag. He, he is a good baseball Yeah, I mean, player. he went off the deep end a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So of the people on the ballot this year, you're in the same boat as me. We're putting in the steroid guys. We're accepting that that was a part of baseball yeah. history and they should be in there. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. I don't care if Barry Bonds juice a little bit. Even, I mean, especially Barry Bonds. Like, I mean, the guy, just like, first of all, he he was putting, a, he was had a Hall of Fame resume before he even started allegedly taking steroids. Before he beefed up and went to the yeah. Giants, he had a Hall of Fame resume with Pittsburgh. Like, he was a great player with Pittsburgh. So even before the steroids, he was great. And then he has like. The, the guy in Major League Baseball who has the all-time record for home runs, one of, like, the biggest stats in baseball, all-time record, and he's not going to be in the Hall of Fame. Same with Pete Rose. Like, like all-time hit, like, two of the best hitters ever are – they're just shunned by baseball because because they cheat a little. I mean, Pete Rose is even more ridiculous because that whole thing, but, you know, all his, his, his gambling. But that's another story. But, yeah, Barry Bonds, like, I don't know. It, it's, just, it's just crazy to me that – that he's not in the Hall of Fame because even if he did take steroids, a lot of guys in that era took steroids. That's for sure. Nobody did what Barry Bonds did. <laughs> like you look at his number, nobody did that. If if it was if it was as easy as taking steroids and being Barry Bonds, everybody would be doing it. Everybody would have done it. Everybody would have would have had a six hundred on base percentage over the course of a season. You know, everybody would be doing it. He was a great player. He was a great hitter. That's that's all there is to it. Like he he. Yeah, he probably juiced a little bit. He beefed up in like an insane amount in the middle of his career, but the guy was a great hitter, like arguably the best hitter of all time. And like, I, I just I don't know how you can keep him out of the Hall of Fame. Every few weeks, someone tweets the clip of him getting intentionally walked with the bases loaded, and I'm like, <laughs> that's, that's never going. That, uh, <laughs> no. They were that scared of him that you know. Yeah. We'll give you a run. Just don't throw to him because he's <laughs> yeah, going to hit it yeah. to the moon. Like, one was- is one is better than four. <laughs> And that was a larger-than-life character. Barry Bonds' home run chase when I was a kid where it was like, he's going to run down Hank Aaron was like the most insane thing ever. As like an eight-year-old, you're telling me someone is going to break the all-time home run record and I'm alive to see it? 
that's amazing. There's not a presence like that in baseball right now. We're like the best players in today's game. Like Mike Trout is probably going to go down as a top 10 player ever when he retires from baseball. He might get a minute and a half on the 11 o'clock sports center, the 1 a.m. sports center, because the angel games don't yeah. end till one in the morning. Nobody cares. Yeah. It, it, Mike Trout is Mickey Mantle in the modern era, and no one cares aside from baseball fans. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's It sucks. More people should get to appreciate the greatness. Yeah, I know. Like it, they, the league, like the league doesn't market Mike Trout at all. Like nobody markets him, and he, he is a very like plain guy. He's not some big character, you know. And even younger players like Fernando Tatis are easier to market just because you know they're more they're young and exciting. But like like you said, Mike Trout is the best, probably the best player in baseball. He's definitely the best player in baseball right now. Probably the best player of this generation, um, and probably going to be a top ten player of all of all time. But even then, going back to the point you made before with the home run chase, like probably best player we're ever going to see. And he probably won't, he like, he, he might like, maybe he'll scratch 600. Maybe he'll get 600 home runs. Like maybe if he continues on this pace for another 10 years, maybe he, he scratches, you know, 600 or you know maybe he can get to seven, but like, it's just, it's not easy to keep up that pace. I mean, Albert Pujols seemed like a guy that was locked to get close to this record. And, you know, he has a, a lot of home runs, a lot. He's getting there, but he's not going to – he's not even going to get close to breaking the record. He's not even going to get to Babe Ruth's record. He's not even going to get to second. No. Yeah, because we no. – I know you remember that when we were kids where, oh, Pujols hit another home run today. How many is he – oh, he has 54 on the season <laughs> with that beautiful swing in the Cardinal jersey. Then he went to Anaheim and uh, never signed someone with the second contract when they're 30 years old. That That's a rule of team building, and we're going to get to a little bit more – Less abstract stuff, more baseball in the moment and just one more second. But wrapping up this conversation about the state of baseball, I think we're dealing with the same thing that basketball is kind of dealing with right now where we found peak efficiency. This is the best way to play the sport, but it's not as enticing as the way basketball is played. And unless like there's fundamental rule changes, I don't know like what you could do to make this better. Like, what could you do? Give batters two strikes? Could you put people where you only can have two people on each side of the infield and eliminate the shift? How there really isn't a way to get rid of efficiency. Teams are going to build teams like this because it's the cheapest way and it's the most efficient way to do it. There's no, it's the same thing with basketball where teams aren't just going to go back to taking only mid-range jump shots and settling for like 10 threes a game. It's just not efficient. Teams aren't going to tell hitters to go up there and start, you know, playing for contact and trying to move runners around because it's just not as efficient as a three-run home run after the first two guys walk. They're just – there's no way to fix the way baseball is played. Yeah, especially – like you said, it's it's the most efficient and just proven to be the best way to win – a baseball game it's it's the most proven way to win a baseball game and you know yeah you can play small ball and yeah you can you know you can you can get, you get slap hitters you can get guys you know hit singles through the you know through the hole in the infield move runners over with, with sacrifice bunts and everything or st- stolen bases but you know the numbers show that doing those things makes your chances of winning lower like it, it literally lowers your chances of winning baseball games and why would any anybody who's actually trying to win baseball games and believes at least a little bit in the numbers do something that is statistically proven to lower your odds of winning. So like you said, unless there's some new revolution where, you know, a new play style is found out, this is probably going to be baseball for a while. And I mean, I don't have a problem with it, but like you said, it's, it's certainly harder to market to a younger audience. Like, like, cause you know, three points, like you said with basketball, three pointers are the home runs, uh, you know, they're, they're basically similar to home runs, but you can have a guy hit seven, threes in a game you know no one's gonna hit seven home runs in a game it's never gonna happen you got you got a guy to hit one home run in the game it's like all right he had a pretty good game one home run three rbis he had a decent day if, if a guy hit one three you'd be like you know like if steph curry hit one three you'd be like he had an awful game he was terrible <laughs> so you know just the i guess the the just the the sheer number of threes and I don't know. I'm mean, watching a team hit a lot of threes is also a lot more exciting. Obviously, hitting, watching a team hit a lot more home runs is exciting too. But again, like I said, it's a lot harder to hit a lot of home runs. You know, it's a lot harder to do that. You can have a team hit even the Knicks. You know, they're playing pretty well this year, but they can hit even on their worst. They can hit 10, 15 threes in a game. You know, that's not it's not out of their own possibility. If a team hits on average, a baseball team is probably hitting one, two, maybe three home runs a game. 
on average. And they're so spread out throughout the innings, you know, throughout the three hours, it's the action is so much further away from each other that it's definitely harder to market, harder to market to a younger audience. I know I said that was the last point I was going to have in this conversation, but this is a really quick thing. And it's something that you, as someone who played baseball, will empathize with and understand. I wish more people would bunt against the shift, man. It's a free double. Oh, I know. Robinson really Cano, is. who is one of the slowest people in baseball last year, <laughs> got a double bunting against the shift because there was just no one down the third base line. If you get yeah. it past the pitcher, it's a double because it's going to roll all the way to the outfield. Yeah, it's- I mean, that that's the only problem I have with with how today's game is played is that, yes, bunting in most situations isn't as isn't as, I guess, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in terms of trying to win the baseball game, but you still have to teach it because like everybody in baseball is like, Oh, I hate the shift. The shift is, 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 you know, it's bad for the game and nobody likes it, but there's an easy way to beat the shift. Like why would somebody like you could be the shift, like you said, by just bunting down the third baseline, teach guys how to bunt and they can bunt on the third baseline. And then, you know, what's going to happen if they, if, 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 you know, uh, I don't know, like trying to think of, think of a, like, like Bryce Harper, like he's up, he's up, he's up at the plate. They're going to, they're going to throw the shift on him. He doesn't want to hit against the shift, then bunt. You, he proves he can bunt on the third baseline with with some pretty regular consistency. They're not going to put the shift on him anymore. They're not going to do it. And then you have a much bigger left side of the field to to you know to hit into. It just I don't know. Like they they had problem and they had the perfect easiest solution to this problem and they just refused to do it. So yeah, that's the I think that's the only problem I really have with today's game. But yeah, hopefully hopefully as more young players come up in the minor leagues, they teach them how to bunt so they can especially lefties, they could teach them how to beat the shift because it's really not that hard. It's one of those things. All you got to do, rubber band the glove to the baseball bat. Every single person who played Little League did that drill. It works. It's useful. It's a skill that's eroding. I mean, if we get rid of the DH, you won't really need – you won't really see sacrifice bench anymore if we get the full-time DH. But now that we've kind of set the table – how do you feel about how this is playing out free agency and trade wise, where everybody's just kind of in a Mexican standoff waiting to see what's going to happen and no one wants to be the first one to jump in. It, it, it is a little boring. I have to admit that. And I think that's another problem going back to the game of baseball being like popular with young people. Like look at basketball, basketball free agency is insane. Like, like whatever it was like July 1st is usually the normal day when free agency starts. I forgot what it was this year, but like first day of free agency, Woj and Shams, they don't sleep for 72 hours. Like they're constantly pumping out like this guy signed here, this guy signed here, this guy's traded here for three first round picks and this guy's moving here and blah, 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 blah. It's like constant news for like three, four days, the NBA. And baseball, you know, the offseason started the day after the World Series and we've had what, one top 20 free agent signed so far, maybe two. Like there's just, there's nothing going on. The three biggest guys, they're, no closer to to signing a contract. Trevor Bauer haven't heard anything like he's some teams are interested in him and we've heard reportedly what his contract demands are, but like there's nothing imminent with him. You know, the only one that's kind of imminent is Springer, but even Springer, people are saying it might go into February, you know. He might not sign in this month. JT Rumut, I haven't heard anything about Rio Muto signing anywhere, you know. So it's it's very slow pace and that's certainly a problem as well. But you know, I, I I can't blame I can't blame these guys, especially the the big guys. You know, like the Springer, the Bally, the Ramuto. Why not wait until you get all the, all the offers on the table? Get all you know, every team that wants you. See if somebody these these second tier guys sign first, and then teams get more desperate, and then they they have to you know they have to shoot for the moon and, and go for a Bauer like that. It's I don't know. It, it's definitely a little boring. I don't blame the guys for for waiting too long, but I think you know, also like you mentioned a lot earlier that these teams nobody has money either so it's tough i mean they have money they just claim they don't have money so it's tough for these teams to make moves too when they don't want to spend any money um i mean eventually these guys are going to sign but you know and at the end of the day i i I did i I didn't think harper and machado were going to get 300 million dollar contracts but they both got it so i'm sure bauer springer ramuto will get the contracts they want but it is it's definitely going to be a waiting game it's going to be a while till these guys actually you know sign a contract and, and go somewhere for good so of all the guys that are floating around out there, whether it's Springer or it's a guy you could potentially get in a trade like Arenado, Chris Bryant, Lindor, who interests you the most just as a baseball player? Not someone you would want to add to the Mets, but who do you think is the best player that's – because trade players obviously aren't, like, available. You'd have to go and get yeah. them. 
But of yeah. those potential guys, who intrigues you the most? I for me, definitely Francisco Lindor. He is he is probably the best player out of that group, and he is also the youngest player out of that group. Um, he he is he's not on Mookie Betts level. Like seeing a guy like Mookie Betts traded last year, who was like a legit top five player, like, and that's just being very very conservative with that top five player in baseball. Like he's not necessarily that Francisco Lindor, but he's he's 27 years old. He's you know maybe the best shortstop in the game, and he is like he is this offseason's Mookie Betts. He's not as good as Mookie Betts, but any team trading for him, like it's gonna be a huge boost, like Mookie Betts was to the Dodgers. So I think he is a guy that like. I'm I'm shocked that more teams aren't very heavily trying to go after him. I mean, I don't know what Cleveland's you know asking price is in the trade, but considering where the baseball market is right now, I don't really know if they're asking for a whole lot. I mean, we just saw you Darvish move for basically nothing because the Cubs just wanted to get rid of his contract. Um and, you know, Lindor's only got one year on his contract as opposed to Darvish's three years. And he's not, you know, you Darvish isn't as good as Francisco Lindor, even though he just finished second in Cy Young. He's also much older than Lindor. But I, I it, in a normal offseason, Francisco Lindor would, would go for a King's ransom. I don't think that's going to be the case this offseason. So I think I'm surprised there aren't more teams that are, like, aggressively trying to get this guy because he is, like, he, he, is, he is a next-level talent in baseball and – like any team would get better with him on their roster. So I, I, you know, I think he's the guy, he's the top guy for me um, just in, in trades and like available quote unquote available in this whole off season. Do you think there's any credence to what Scott Boris was talking about during that winter where Machado and Harper were sat around to like March to get signed that the owners are all kind of like, there's not an agreement to wait everyone out and try and drive down their prices. But do you think that, that's a reasonable theory that that's part of the situation that no one wants to be the first one in and set the market for free agent talent. And that's why all these teams are being way too patient and why no one wants to go out and just, all right, you want 35 Bauer? We'll do 35, but it's only going to be for three or four years. Do you think that's part of the discussion? I, I, I certainly, I can, I can get behind that theory. I, I wouldn't put it past baseball owners to, to, I mean, they've cried poor this whole year when they're all worth, you know, billions of dollars, hundreds of millions, you know, or billions of dollars. They've all cried poor. I wouldn't put it past them to, like you said, give a little like under the table agreement to like, hey, maybe, you know, I know you want this guy, but maybe, you know, make him wait it out a little bit. You know, I'm not going to go after this guy. I know you want him. You're probably going to get him, but make him wait till like January, mid-January to sign him or maybe February to sign him because maybe then they get a little nervous and their price goes down a little bit. And then guys in the future see, oh, you know, oh crap, this guy had to wait you know, four months to sign a contract and he's a much better player than I am. Like, how long am I going to have to wait? I could, I could certainly like, I could buy into that theory. I wouldn't put it past baseball owners in the slightest to, to, I don't want to say collusion, but, you know, involved in some, some, some sort of collusion like that, where they just, they're basically making weight players wait out just for the fact of worsening the players market. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Because while you were talking about Lindor, that kind of popped in my head. I was like, what if every team is just going to be like, all right, keep him. Let him be a free agent in a year and a half. We don't care. Yeah. We don't want to give up assets for him. I mean, it's not really an efficient way to run a team. I mean, you add Lindor to a team that's already on the fringe of the playoffs or a playoff team already. You're really boosting your chances of winning the World Series. But if you don't want to give up the assets and you want to just roll the dice and say, all right, maybe he's just the guy in free agency in a year and a half. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly, like, if, if that's your strategy, I don't want to say I can fault you for that if you just don't want to trade him because Cleveland's already come out and said they're not going to resign him. Like, yeah. they flat out said, like, he's not he's not a part of our future. He's not, you know, he's not going to be here in the long term. So you know they're not going to resign him. It'd be pretty, you know, ballsy to risk <laughs> not, yeah. not trading for him because, like, you trade for him, you assume that well, if you're trading for him – under the assumption that you have the money to resign him to sign him to a long-term contract and if you're able to trade for him i don't think he's any sort of like major diva where he'd be like oh i got traded to cincinnati i don't want to play here i'm not going to sign here like he's going to take the money and not that cincinnati's going to trade for him but you know what i mean like i don't think he's, he's going to be, be really too picky in not signing somewhere because he doesn't want to go to a certain place i think whoever trades for him is going to sign him is going to be able to sign him so um 
it's pretty risky to just you know roll the dice and let him walk yeah wait it out and hopefully that nobody trades for him but like if that's your strategy fine i just think it's pretty risky and i think it it would like i said make a whole lot more sense just just to flat out trade for him and like i said it's probably pretty risk-free like he, he probably would be pretty willing to sign with whoever whoever traded for him and like I said before, I don't think the price is going to be too exorbitantly high. Like it wouldn't, it shouldn't, it's not going to be as high as, as it should be in a, in a Francisco Lindor trade. So I don't know. I, it's certainly a strategy a team could take, but I, I think just, just trade for him. Somebody to go out and trade for him. Just make it happen. He's a great player. He's make like, he'll make any team better instantly. Any team better. Okay. So now that we've kind of set the table for who's available, who's out there, what teams are kind of at the end of their window where like they kind of need to make a move now to have a realistic chance before their window closes. When I was writing that down, the first thought I had was the Yankees. Cause like they're going to have to pay judge pretty soon. I mean, you could make an argument that the blue Jays blue Jays have a pretty young core, but they are going to have to start eventually paying those guys. The Padres have taken a good advantage of their situation and already gone for it and went and added stuff to their team. What teams jump out at you yeah. as being like, this is kind of the last year or next year is the last year of their window before they kind of have to reset? Uh, I think the, the first team I thought of and I put down was the Angels mm. because they have, like you were talking about before, they had the best player in baseball. They have Mike Trout. And he's still great and he's going to be great for a while, but he's, he's not getting any younger. And, you know, in a few years – he might not be as good as he is right now. And they already got Anthony Rendon, who's also a great player. They, they have pieces in place, but they just cannot make the playoffs. And I, they for sure, in my mind, they need to go out and make a big move. I think they are going to make a big move. I mean, I've, I've, this is my, been my prediction for most of the offseason. I think they're going to be the ones to get Bauer. I think they sense. need to make a huge, I think they need to make, because starting pitch is really like the biggest area of concern for their team. I think they need to make a big move there and they could also use some bullpen help too, but relief pitchers are, relatively cheap um but yeah i i think they need to make a big move i their window like i said is kind of closing they're in a good spot also because albert pujols he's coming up the books after this season this is his last season under contract and then the year after that justin upton next season is his last year under contract so within two years they get two of their biggest contracts off the book and two guys not only who are the biggest contracts but they just don't perform anywhere close to what they're getting, they're getting paid. I mean, that's going to be about 55, $60 million off the book in two years for guys that aren't giving you any sort of production at all. Like they're all, those guys are only playing on the angels roster right now because they're making so much money. It's the only reason they're, they're even, you know, still in a lineup every day, pretty much because they're making so much money. You just have to play those guys, but they're not, they're not performing up to their level. So you go out and sign a Bauer, you know, this year you're gonna be paying a lot of money because probably Bauer is probably gonna be like 30 mil a year, 30 mil this year. Then you got Trout's like 35 mil, Pujols is like 30 mil. I think Upton's like 25 mil. It's a lot of money, but the next year Pujols comes off, so that's 30 mil gone right there. That's that's a lot of money you save up. And then like I said, the year after that Upton, so they they're gonna have the money soon to make these moves. I think now is the offseason to make a move because you need to start winning. And also their division, Houston's only getting worse. They're gonna they're probably gonna lose Springer. Um, next year they're probably gonna lose Correa. Altuve took a, a major dip. I mean, really the only competition in the the AL West is is Oakland. And, you know, I love the Oakland A's, but they're still a team on an insanely small budget. And it's it's, you know, they're like they're like held together by by like Scott's tape. Like something goes wrong for that team, it can all fall apart for them. So you need like this is the time for the Angels, I think, to really strike and make a big deal. Um I think they they're definitely one of the, the first team came to mind. I also thought you mentioned Toronto. I also think Toronto as well. They they're almost in a situation like where teams in football they draft the quarterback and they they build the rest of the team like beef it up a lot with big salaries while the QB is on a rookie contract. You're getting like great QB reduction out of a guy making five million a year. That's kind of what the Blue Jays are right now. I mean they have they have Lord Guriel, Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, and Vladdy Jr. All pre arbitration. They're all making nothing. So the only real contract they have on their team is Hyunjin Bio making 20 mil. They have a lot of money to work with to go out and sign a Springer, a Bauer, a Real Muto, whoever they want, they can go out and get. They can also, they have a farm system. They can go out and trade for Lindor. They could they could trade for him and afford to pay him to keep him there. They're in a really good spot. I think they're, they have a, a window, I don't say a small window because all these guys are super young, but a window where they're not paying a lot for this, this talented team and they can make, they can make a lot of noise there. I think those are probably the two teams I look at most as 
they have to make a move now to to fully, I guess, take advantage of that that window they have for a championship. What teams do you feel like are flying under the radar for where they're positioned? Because you mentioned Toronto is in a pretty good shape, but they do they are in the AL East. I mean, Tampa Bay won't be as good. They did trade Blake Snell. They won't be as good this yeah. year. But the Yankees are still the Yankees. They the Yankees got to figure out their rotation. It, they still haven't figured out what they're doing with Tanaka or if he's going back to Japan or whatnot. And the Red Sox, they cannot possibly be as bad as they were last year. Anyone else? Do you think that's kind of flying under the radar a little bit? Any either league, American or National League, Milwaukee, uh, Kansas City, anyone, anyone? There, I mean, there, there are a couple teams I think that are kind of going under the radar. They kind of go hand in hand with. Um, with with the next point you wanted to make also you have in the in in the on the sheet which is teams that might regress positive or negatively i think a couple teams that are flying under the radar because they make it a little bit i think san francisco is pretty good they had a pretty good young roster last year and if they make a couple a couple smart moves i think they could certainly it's going to be very tough in the nl west with the dodgers and the padres um but they could certainly give one of those teams a run for their money i think um maybe even make a wild card uh milwaukee they're more a team, I think, just going to positively regress because last year in this the shortened season, they had. I mean, Christian Yelich had, yeah, like he won the batting title two years in a row, and then he hit two hundred. Like, <laughs> he's not going to hit two hundred again. He's way too good to hit two hundred. It was just you know, that's that's what happened in a sixty game. Is you know, everybody has these rough stretches where they go in slumps and they can't hit well, and it just happened to hit Christian Yelich in a season that was only sixty games long. So I mean, his numbers look awful, but like. Like I said, he won the batting until two years in a row. He's not going to hit 200 next year. He might not hit 330 like he did the two years prior, but, you know, he'll get better. Um, and that the NL Central is a complete mess. I mean, everybody in that division is getting rid of money. I mean, Pittsburgh, I mentioned I mentioned this on this show, my, on my show last week. Pittsburgh, I think their, their entire team salary is going to be lower than what Russell Westbrook's getting paid this year. Yeah. Like their, their entire pay- payroll salary is like $38 million, the Pittsburgh Pirates. They're not paying anybody. They don't care. They're trying, they're losing. Um, and they're still trying to trade away guys who are making like some kind of money. Um, Cincinnati, I think is going to lose. They, they already, they're going to lose Bauer. They might trade Sonny Gray. Um, I don't think Castillo will be moved, but I think they'll probably make some kind of trade to clear up some money. I haven't heard of St. Louis do is doing anything. Um, they're a decent team, but certainly not you know good enough where you don't give Milwaukee a chance over them. And then Chicago, like I mentioned before, I mean, they traded away Darvish, and that was the only reason they were any good last year. I mean, I was saying all last year, Chicago was—they were awful. Bad. They couldn't hit anything. I mean, like Bryant was hitting like he was hitting like two hundred. Javi Baez was hitting like one eighty. Um, Anthony Rizzo was hitting like two twenty. I mean, nobody on that team could hit last year, uh, and except for like Ian Happ, I think was the only one who had like yeah. any semblance of a decent batting average and you know hit it offensive season. And they still were, they, you know, they were, they were still eight games over 500, mainly because their pitching was phenomenal, but they just traded their best pitcher. So, you know, that division is, is certainly up for grabs from Milwaukee or really anybody, anybody there. So probably just a couple of teams flying out of the radar, but like I said, it kind of goes hand in hand with your next point, which I'll, I'll let you get to. Yeah. So positive, negative regression. I mean, the Mets had the best offense in like all of baseball last year. They're not going to get that again this year, which is why it's so important to shore up the offense. No. The Yankees had horrendous injury luck again you got to assume that eventually they'll have the positive injury regression where they'll have the healthy season. Anyone you would think team wise that really had a crappy 60 game season that over a full season will play better or the inverse where someone played above their means and is going to come back down to earth. I mean, I think the Phillies are a prime candidate for positive regression. I think the Marlins probably take a little bit of a step back, even though they are heading in the right direction. Anyone in that category jump out to you, positive or negative, you want to talk about? Yeah, I think Miami for sure is one of the teams that, you know, they they were more of like a scrappy team, I guess you could say. They're really ragtag. I mean, they had an Olympic speed skater at second base, and <laughs> he was hitting like 250 for them. I don't know if that's going to happen again. Um, so they'll probably get some negative aggression. Um, I mentioned before, Milwaukee's probably going to get better because you have to assume Christian Yelich, their best player, is not going to hit 200 again. He's going to get better. I still don't like Milwaukee's roster. I think it has a lot of holes, but, you know, he he's good enough to make them win games. And, you know, they, I mean, they, they won 29 
they were 20, I think they were 29 and 31 last year with Yelich hitting 200. So, you know, he gets a little bit better, you know, even not, he doesn't have to get back to his MVP form, just hits like 280, you know, with 35 home runs. They'll be a much better baseball team this year. Um, I think Washington also, I think Washington, the Nationals have probably the best top three starters in baseball, even after the moves that, um, that San Diego made. I mean, Scherzer, Strasburg, and, um, and Patrick Corbin are three elite, like ace level starters. Um, and Juan Soto, in my opinion, he's the best young player in baseball. So they're, they're going to get, they have some, they have some holes to fill in their roster too. Um, they need to bring back Sean Doolittle, at least get some kind of, you know, really better relief pitcher in there, but they're going to be better than they were last year. I think, I think like you mentioned more Philly probably going to be better. They have, you know, arguably one of the most talented rosters in the NL East. They have a very talented team, especially to bring back Real Muto. They'll be pretty good. Um, and then, you know, I mentioned before, Chicago is probably going to get worse. I think obviously they lost Darvish, but also not being able to score runs is just, it's, you're not going to be able to win a bunch of games, not being able to score. And then Tampa Bay also, you know, they lost their two of their best starting pitchers um, in, in Snell and then Charlie Morton. And, you know, for, for a team like that, it's so tough to have continued success in baseball, especially for a team on a, in such a small market and with a low budget like Tampa Bay. They're probably, you know, they're probably going to get worse. I mean, they won, they won 40 games last year, which is incredible. So obviously it's going to be tough to keep up a 66, you know, winning percentage for the course of a full 162 game season again. But I certainly would, would be surprised to see Tampa Bay kind of regress negatively also get slightly worse just because of, you know, it's so, like I said, it's so tough to, to have continued success in Major League Baseball. We've kind of set the tempo here. We set the scene for baseball as a whole covered a little bit about the teams going into this season, who needs what, what kind of situations certain teams will find themselves in. I'll talk, let's talk a little Mets here because the Mets actually aren't as embarrassing as they usually are. And we have something to be a little bit happy about. First, I wanted to talk to you about this because we're enjoying the Mets having an owner who's not like a dirtbag piece of shit. So do you think it's funny that Cohen is just like replying to random people on Twitter and engaging the nonsense that most Met fans spend their free time doing? I do think it's pretty funny. It's, it's, it is, it is a, it is a good laugh whenever somebody comes at him and they're like, Oh, how come you haven't signed anybody yet? And he's like, I don't know. Let me call, you know, let me call Jared Porter. Let me call Sandy, find out what's going on. I do. I do get a kick out of that. Um, I do worry a little bit about it. Cause like it is, it is a nice little act right now. And it's pretty funny, but I do feel like if they actually don't sign, like if they miss out on Springer, people are going to be pissed at them. Like, Mets fans are going to be mad, like very, very mad. And I mean, he, he's uh, uber successful. I don't think he's really going to care too much about it, but um, it, is, it is a little bit of a, of a risky play to, you know, to be so active. I mean, no other owner is just active on Twitter, even Mark Cuban. I mean, he's, he's very active on Twitter, but I don't know about this as much as like engaging with fans as Steve Cohen is. So it's, it's pretty interesting. I, I do get a kick out of it, uh, but Hopefully it doesn't it doesn't you know bite him in the ass. <laughs> Trevor Bauer is kind of nuts. I, like I knew he was nuts, but like in the last like two three weeks, just like the way him and his agent interact with people on Twitter is just like I don't know how much of it you've seen, but like they're just kind of out there. Like he, I don't want to say like because I think the whole perception that New York media eats people alive is kind of a myth now. But I don't know if Trevor Bauer in New York is a great idea. No, I don't, I don't think so either. I'm not, I'm not a hunt. I like, I'm not really on board. Like if we signed him, cool, whatever, he's really good. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, him, him in New York media, I think could be, could be an issue. And also like, he's just like, he's a good baseball player. Like he's fine, but he wants like legit ace money. And he's had two years where he's been a legit ace. And then the rest of the years he's been average. Like he's like he had he had one season with Cleveland where he was dominant, and he had this past season with Cincinnati where he was incredible, and won Cy Young obviously. But you know every other you look you go look at his at his numbers every other year is pretty it's pretty just you know pretty average like over over four year not even just like you know like okay like passable like pretty good like like I said over four year right like not not seasons that 
necessarily you want to be proud of if you're if you're starting a pitcher, especially somebody asking for, you know, thirty five million dollars a year on a contract. You know, it, it these the numbers just don't really back up what he wants and what he, I guess, feels he he's worth. So like I said, I, I I'm not really on board with bringing him in. I'd have no problem with the Mets let him go elsewhere. Uh, so not even, up. I mean, like I said, that, that's just for baseball, not even going off of what yeah. you said about everything off the field with him too. Going off of that, of the potential guys you could get, because I, I saw they're not, they're not in on the guy from Japan. Sugano, I think is how, how, if, yeah. how you pronounce it. There's a Dreezy, there's Kluber, Sugano. there's Kluber, there's a few other guys out there. Any of them, appealing to you any of them particularly appealing i mean i did like sagano obviously coming over from japan i'm not gonna act like i i watched you know mpb and was a bit was like a a big nut on that like i didn't know but just looking at his numbers he had a lot of you know in eight seasons in japan he has either two three four era like a very good era he pitched against usa team usa in the world baseball classic in 2017 so like he's had some experience with major league players um, I think it would have been probably a pretty decent flyer to take on him, but if they're not gonna, if they're not gonna, if the Mets don't want to do that, I'm not gonna complain about it either. Because um, like I said, we don't know what he's gonna be. Odorizzi is probably the best, the best guy outside of Bauer and Sagano on the market. But all, it, even him, they, it seems like all the reports are saying that they're not, they're like, they're talking or they're thinking about Odorizzi, but they're not really as interested as other teams are. So I don't know if that's gonna happen. Kluber is is fine. If they had a Kluber, I'd be okay with that. But Kluber cannot be like he cannot be the guy you you like the main guy you bring in at starting pitcher for this offseason. Like if, if you want to bring in Kluber, that's fine, but you need to bring in somebody better than him also. And you know, like I said, he, he's a fine player, it's worth taking a shot on, but this team needs a lot more than just Corey Kluber in the rotation. So I would I would be okay with that, but I, I'd hope for more. Maybe you go to the trade market with Sonny Gray, he's probably the, the best guy left. Um, that's that's somewhat reasonable. Uh, maybe you can go there. I don't know what Cincinnati would want for him, but you know, I that's he's probably the the best guy available now outside of guys that I guess they have a shot at because like I said, like you said before, they're not going to Sagano. They're not super reportedly interested in Odorizzi, and so I don't know. Like I said, I, I, I'm perfectly fine with Corey Kluber. I'd be okay with any of them, but Corey Kluber cannot be the main guy you bring in. He cannot be the best. So they need a lot more than that. So. Um, because if you do that, you're kind of really banking on Noah Syndergaard coming back completely healthy and pitching to what he was before, you know, before the injury. So, and I don't know, I don't know how realistic that is. You can't really put all your, all your, you know, your chips in on, on Noah Syndergaard being what he was before the Tommy John, at least not right away. Yeah. I, cause the Mets are going to need at least two arms for the rotation. What They don't both have yeah. to be awesome starters, but they definitely need at least two no. arms for the rotation. And they need probably one more guy for the bullpen. And then you can start talking about moving stuff around in the regular lineup. With, if you go and get Springer, what you have to do to move people around, especially if you don't have the DH, which could be a problem, especially for a team like the Mets, who really got a lot out of the DH spot last year. They have like five DHs on this roster. <laughs> Hey man, they gotta find four now. Like that Cano, that Cano's gone. Yeah, <laughs> at least for this year. That was so funny, man. We were all just going about our day. It was a Wednesday because I remember <laughs> you had your show that day, and we yeah. were all going about it and went in the group chat. And Jeff Passion tweeted, and I was like, "Really, really? That is oh, that was no. great news. <laughs> it really was. It was that was in the middle of like the really good stretch of Mets news where like." calling close yeah. to trade and then we got that in like a week and a half and it was like maybe the Mets aren't gonna Mets anymore maybe maybe we're, we're going to be a good baseball team I will say it's very fun having our Yankee fan friends nervous they are very very yes. nervous that the Mets are going as to much be. as they want to deny it they're definitely <laughs> they're a little nervous I mean we we still we still gotta prove you know yeah. all the talk we're, we're, we're doing right now but like you can't you can't look at this team and deny the fact that they're at least at the very least, they're moving in the right direction. Like they have, a, they have a clue of what they want to do, and they have like a semblance of how to run a baseball team, and they're they're at least moving forward with that plan. At the very least, like, you know, if you, you hate the Mets, you gotta at least, you gotta at least concede that fact that they're moving in the right direction. They're making they're making smarter decisions than they were at any point under the Wilpons, and you know that at least is is a reason for for some joy, as for us Mets fans. So. Yeah, you got to at least concede that fact. 
Yeah. It's very fun watching them get nervous. And they have good pieces. The Mets have legitimately yeah. good pieces. Conforto is good. Dom Smith was very good last year. You got to see if he can do it over a full season. Pete Alonso was rookie of the year two years ago. Nimmo is a one and a half, two worst outfielder who's pretty good. You've got pieces here. You got McNeil, who's a batting title guy. There's a lot to like about the roster. Yeah, I mean, you said it before. They had they had one of the best offenses of all time this past season, and they were still under 500 because the <laughs> pitching was a mess. And obviously, obviously, like you said before, they're going to regress a little bit on offense. You're not going to do that again this year. You're not going to have such an incredible offensive season this upcoming season. But also, the pitching is going to be better. I mean, the Grom was phenomenal as he always is. But you're going to get Stroman this year. He's not going to opt out this season. At least you, you assume he, he's not going to. You know, you're going to have Stroman this year for the whole season. David Peterson is going to be up the whole year, and he pitched pretty well. He's probably going to regress a little bit. Um, but he's still he's still a serviceable back-end starter. You're going to get Syndergaard at some point late in the year or, you know, halfway through the season. And then you also assume that you get another, you know, major league quality starter that can give you some extra innings as well outside of just – DeGrom and then Walker Lockett and Corey Oswald, you know, it's be, it's going to be better than, than those guys after DeGrom. So the offense is going to get worse, but the pitching is going to get better. They're adding pieces in the bullpen as well. So that's not going to be as big of an issue. So, you know, they, they're moving in the right direction. They're, they're, they're moving in the right direction. All right. We're almost done. Last part of the conversation here is it's way too early to start making predictions, judging that kind of thing, looking at potentially who's winning what division awards, that kind of thing. Once we see where the free agents and trades land, we'll do an episode in that ballpark, probably bring someone else into the mix with Chris and I for that discussion. But it's very early. What team are you most excited for to watch this season? Is it San- – does it have to be the Padres? Padres, Padres probably, yeah. They're probably going to get a lot of my a lot of my West Coast time zone baseball watching it. After, after the Mets game is over, I'm probably going to be tuning into a lot of Padres games. I'm assuming – I'm assuming they're probably going to take over the Dodgers as being the team that's on MLB Network every night yeah. after 10 o'clock. So I'm probably going to watch a lot of them. Uh, they're going to be very exciting. Um, but also, I mean, like we mentioned with Toronto, they're probably going to be a lot better too. They have a lot of good young players, and they're, they're a pretty fun team. So I'm pretty excited about to watch what Toronto does as well um, to see if they can make that leap and kind of get themselves into the conversation for the AL East. Like we mentioned before, Tampa Bay is probably going to get worse. The Yankees, if they get some better injury luck, they'll probably be a little bit better. But, you know, Toronto, it's it's certainly there for Toronto to to make a jump and to get into that conversation. So I think those are probably the two the two most fun teams to watch this year. Is that for the, me. Is Toronto the team that interests you the most of being like, maybe this is the team that makes the leap or is there anyone else? Atlanta, I mean, I know we don't want to igno- be like, yeah, the Braves are great because <laughs> they're in our division. But like Atlanta, yeah. Atlanta could be – hundred plus win team this year very easily. Atlanta Atlanta was a few outs away from making the World Series this year. Without and their best pitcher. Exactly, without their best pitcher for the for basically the entire season. So Atlanta is certainly a team, certainly a team that you know can make that leap. They're already like really good. Um but you know yeah they they they're they're right on the doorstep. I mean they're the Dodgers are probably as, as as much of a powerhouse as you can get in the national league right now, but the, the Braves aren't far behind. I mean, the Braves, I think the Braves were up three, one on them in, in yep. the NLCS last year. So the Braves are very close. They're a very good team. They get a couple things to break their way in the NLCS last year. They're in the world series. And, you know, maybe that breaks for them this year. Maybe the Dodgers have a world series slump. And this year is the Braves, you know, the national league is the Braves for the taking. I wouldn't be shocked to see that. So like they're, they're right in that mix as well as being a team that, very poised to make a leap and to make like a big splash like a team like san diego or a team like toronto their leap would be winning the division making the playoffs maybe making a championship you know like a a lcs the braves their leap has got to be a world series and it's like it's not out of the realm of possibility last thing to talk about here who are guys to keep an eye on for the people out there? I know you, because you play baseball fan duel and that kind of thing. You just know a lot of guys. Who are some interesting guys out there for the people to keep an eye on? I was actually very, when I was kind of preparing a little bit for this, I was very excited to, to look up some of these, like, because like, honestly, if we had the time, you know, I could I could probably give you a player to keep an eye on for every single team. 
And I was looking at dude, I was like, oh, this guy's gonna be fun to watch this year. This guy's gonna be fun to watch. We'll do that closer um, to the regular season. But I kind of we'll narrowed it down to do six. That. Okay, yeah. word. Yes, I narrowed it down to six guys, so we're not we're not um you know we're not we're not going crazy and we're not talking forever about this. Like I said, I could I could go forever with these guys. Um, me personally, I really love I love young players like prospects. I like following prospects through the minor leagues, um, and trying to keep track of of where they go with their careers and how, like, if their prospect prospect status is, um, is kind of warranted. Uh, the first guy for me has got to be Luis Patino. Um, the, the main piece that went to Tampa Bay in the Blake Snell trade, he is a flamethrower. He does, he does 97 plus. He is the 23rd prospect in baseball, third in the loaded Padres farm system. Um, and, I mentioned it on my show last week that, you know, San Diego right now looks like the winner of that trade because they got Blake Snell, who's like a certified star. But like if Patino, like if they could do with Patino what they did with Glass now when they got him from Pittsburgh, like Tampa Bay could very easily be looked at as the winner of this trade in two, three years. Like right. if Patino turns out to, to, to be what we think he's going to be. Um, so that's going to be very, really fun to watch. Cabrian uh, Hayes. He's a third base, young third baseman for Pittsburgh. He he got his first taste of major league action last year. I think he only played in like 20 or so games, but he he was hitting the crap out of the ball. He's a very good defender. Um, he's gonna be a lot of fun to watch. And I probably the only fun thing to watch on a very what will probably be a very poor and you know just bad Pittsburgh Pirates team, but he'll he'll be good. Um, you you hope so at least. Josh Bell on the Nationals. He's kind of interesting because in 2019. His career was like pretty average up until 2019, and then the first half of 2019, he was like a certified All Star. He was he was in the MVP discussion. Um, he had 84 RBIs at 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 the All Star break. I think he was leading the league in RBIs at the All Star break. 302 average, 376 on base, 1024 OPS, like 27 home runs. He was in he was in the home run derby, and after the home run derby, I don't necessarily want to say I'm big in the guys you know messing up their swing in the home run derby, but. After, ever since that homer derby, the the Pete Alonso Vladdy Guerrero one, he's been awful. He hit two thirty three the rest of the rest of twenty nineteen, and then twenty twenty, um, he was he he was a negative WAR player. He he had three hundred five on base. I mean two twenty six average. He he's a bit awful. So um, he moved to Washington TV. He can he can bounce back a little bit for the Nationals. Uh, Joe Adele, another guy, young player for the Angels. He was a top five prospect in baseball for a number of years and then he finally got his chance in the major leagues last year with with los angeles and he was he was flat out terrible and 161 average he didn't field well either 478 ops i mean he he looked very out of water in the major leagues so i would i would like to see if he can kind of prove his like i said his prospect standing because he was a top five guy in all of baseball he was a guy that would have if they would have traded him they could have got a legit like mlb star they wanted to trade him when he was still in the minor leagues um See if he could turn it around. And then probably two of my favorite players, non-Mets players. Um, first of all, Zach Gallen. He's a starting pitcher for the Diamondbacks. I think he gets doesn't get a lot of recognition in baseball as one of the better pitchers in, in the major leagues. And he is very fun to watch. He's he made me a lot of money last year in FanDuel <laughs> and DFS. Uh, because he he's just like I said, he he's not he's not talked about as much as a lot of other pitchers in baseball, and he is very, very good. Um he had a 275 ERA last year, 82 strikeouts, 72 innings, 1.1 whip. He very fun to watch, very good pitcher, very young. I think he's only 25 right now. Um, I, I like him a lot. Would like more people to to know who he is and to to was watch him more. And then Luis Robert, um, another guy who was a really top prospect. He kind of he kind of kept up um, with his prospect status when he when he got called to the big leagues with Chicago. Um, he, he played pretty well last year. He struggled down, you know, down the second half of the year last year. He shot off like a rocket in the first half, struggled in the second half. But, I mean, he, he's, he's incredibly – he's a, he's a great defensive outfielder. He's incredibly fast. He had a lot of pop. I mean, he hits moonshot home runs. Um, and he's really, like – he's kind of the centerpiece and the future of a very young, exciting Chicago White Sox team. So, just he's probably the last guy that I'm very excited about and I'm going to keep an eye on this year for sure. And I think I think everybody should be – keeping an eye on, on those guys to see how they do this year, how, how well they, they adapt to the major leagues and how well they can, I guess, either improve on good seasons or um, I guess get back to being what they were after down seasons for them. So 
those those are the guys I'm talking about. Those are the guys I'm I'm looking for this year. Those are the guys I'm most excited about. A good mix of guys, a couple different teams, but and guys in both leagues. I tell you, people, I know people who know a lot of shit. I had PJ on on Monday who could have told you every single draft eligible player off the top of his head if I gave him the full hour and a half to talk about it. Chris here really would just name every single player on every single MLB team if I gave him enough time to do it. I know smart people. Oh, yeah, I could. I like. Yeah. I had I had the cut names out like I was putting names down. I was just going through the teams and I was like, oh, this guy will be fun to watch this year. This guy, and I was like, I got way too many names on here. Like I got to cut some, and I cut some out. Like, if we're being honest, like you said, if I had the time, probably could have gone through one guy for every team. That's that would be fun to watch this year. But like I said, don't have the time for that. So I cut it down to six. Tried to keep it as as concise but informative as I could. So. <laughs> Chris, you will be back around spring training time and we will do a full episode where we will do that kind of thing, where we will go team by team for either one player or one storyline to watch to kind of set the table for everyone as a look ahead type deal. I don't know who we'll get for the third person for that episode to be. I've got a few ideas who we could do get to do that. We'll do something like that a little closer. Every single Wednesday, Chris puts out a very, very good talk show. It's very... It's all you need to know. It is a very concise hour-long show. He hits all the bases for the big stories in sports. Hits all the sports. Chris, basketball, hockey, football, baseball. Baseball is Chris's favorite sport. He knows what he's talking about for football, for basketball, for hockey. Chris is a good guy. Listen to his show, The Sports Report with Chris Schweitzer. It's on iTunes. Subscribe. Leave him a review. Reviews are nice for content creators. It lets us know our hard work is being appreciated. Any last words, Chris? Uh, no, I think you, you kind of wrapped it up pretty well. Plug in my show. I appreciate that. I'd obviously say to leave leave a review and listen to your show, but obviously to listen to this right now, they're already listening to your show. So like you said, leave a review. It helps us out a lot. Follow us on social media. You got yeah. Upper Bowl GM on social media. I got the sport HRR Sports Report on social media. So go follow us, download the show, share it with people. Do all I can say. I Support appreciate you having me on. It's a lot of fun. It's always fun to talk sports. I'm sure you and I are going to get on Xbox in a little bit and just cry about the uh, Dave Gettleman and John Mara press conferences this morning, which were abysmal. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was pretty rough. As soon as I'm done with this recording and editing Chris's show, Ethan from Gotham is going to send me the NYG Weekly. He is recording, and I will have that up for you people. Follow the blog at Gotham SN on Twitter. Gotham Sports Network is the full web address. I will see you guys on Friday. It's playoff season, people. We've got all the storylines and all of the playoff games to talk about. We're going to try and win you some hard-earned American dollars. I'll see you guys on Friday. See you.